y'all, Pink Lady here. Welcome to part two of Podcasting is the New Kink. And welcome back to our review of HBO's Lovecraft Country. This is actually going to be the last episode and I'm talking about my favorite moments. I've picked one moment out of every episode and I am going to go in. I'm going to set the scene, giving you some background of what's going on. I'm going to tell you what actually happened in the scene and why it spoke to me. So let's do it. All right. So episode one at 52 minutes in, I call this a dangerous sunset. So the setup starts at about 48 minutes and 30 seconds in. We see Atticus, Letty, and Uncle George have a run-in with a white, clearly racist sheriff who tells them that they're in a sundown county. They're in a sundown county, and it is about to be sundown. So tension is already just building. After some back and forth about why they're there and what they're actually doing, the sheriff lets them go. They have seven minutes until sunset. After more back and forth about how to get out of the county in seven minutes, the crew is finally able to leave. And this, here comes my favorite scene. And it happens, like, literally right before all hell breaks loose. So, we see Atticus driving. Uncle George is in the passenger seat. And Letty is in the back. They are driving the speed limit while being chased by the racist sheriff who is rear-ending them. He is really trying not to let them get out of his town. So, tension is building. There is very little dialogue, and here we are. We are coming upon some train tracks. These are the train tracks that they have to pass in order to get out of the sundown town. And we are like slowly but surely getting there. And then we get past the train tracks. And we feel like our characters are on their way home, right? Then, out of the frying pan and into the fryer, the crew gets right out of town just to be stopped by another group of sheriffs and deputies. Then all hell breaks loose and all the racists get killed And I love the ending of the first episode. Something about me is that I really love when the tension builds. I really love feeling like there is no way my character's getting out of this. Like, how the hell are we going to save him? It's it's, it's a wrap for him. It's those on the edge of your seats moments. Like, like, you know, like, they got to make it out. This is only the first episode. But how? I I just, I can't see it. I can't imagine how this is going to happen. So I thought it was a great ending of a first episode. 
And it was really like someone was looking at that tension dial. It was like, turn that shit all the way up. <laughs> they just keep raising it. And then like, they just forgot, clearly. <laughs> but like I said, it was a great ending and I definitely enjoyed it. Episode two at 42 minutes and 48 seconds in, I call this The Barrier. The setup starts at about 40 minutes and 12 seconds in. We see Atticus, Uncle George, and Letty finally find Montrose, and they're ready to get back to Chicago, and they plan to steal Braithwaite's car. We see the four of them get in the car, and they're heading out, and we think, okay, this is the end. We're going to get a happy ending this time. Then, bam! (laughs) They crash the car into an unseen barrier, and later we find out that it's a spell, but that crash was just like, whoa, what the hell? (laughs) What the hell happened? (laughs) So after this, Letty and Uncle George get shot. Letty actually dies, and Braithwaite gives Atticus a choice of basically I kill everybody right now or you come and be part of the spell and we'll see maybe some of them will die maybe they won't (laughs) it's pretty much what he said again I love the tension building I love how we thought we were out and then bam sucked right back in also The way that car just like folded and crumbled. Oh my gosh, I didn't expect it. It looked beautiful. And it just left me wanting so much more. I just wanted more and more and more. (laughs) All right, episode three at 29 minutes and 47 seconds in, I call it Letty Goes Off. The setup starts a lot earlier in the episode, about 14 minutes and 25 seconds in. We see Letty and her boarders moving into the Winthrop house. We know that they are pioneering. We know that pioneering is when Black people were moving into all-white neighborhoods. So we see three white boys and three cars parked in front of the house. And we hear horns blowing endlessly. (laughs) A little later, we find out that there are bricks tied to the horns to just keep them going so that they can annoy their new Black neighbors and hopefully get them to move out, right? We don't see this at this point. We find this out later, but this is what's happening. You see three white boys, you see three cars, and you just hear those horns going. Now, fast forward to 20 minutes and 20 seconds in, Letty is having her housewarming party. We see the perspective of white neighbors looking out their windows and seeing all these black folks showing up to the party. I love that, by the way. And we see the black folks just partying and enjoying themselves and minding their business and not hurting and bothering nobody. Then... At 29 minutes and 20 seconds, Ruby notices 
that there is a cross burning on the yard. Ruby is the first one to notice, but shortly after, everyone notices. And we hear Dorinda Clark Cole's Take It Back playing. We see fire in Letty's eyes. Like, we actually see fire in her eyes. It is a reflection of the cross burning, but that angle, that shot was just, it was so beautifully done. We see that fire, we hear that music, and we know Letty is about to go the fuck off. She gets a bat, and she busts the windows out those cars. <laughs> she busts their windows, she undid the horns blowing, she fucked them up real good, just a little bit. She ain't do real good, she fucked them up just a little bit. She knew that she only had a little bit of time, so she did maximum damage and minimum time. Now, what I loved most about this scene is the way Atticus reacted to her. I don't know if he knew what she was going to do. I don't think he knew what she was going to do, but he knew she was going to do something. So he got the guns, he got his boys, and he was ready for shit to go down if need be. And how everyone else reacted too. It was, you know, Atticus and his boys Ruby pulled up with the whip to get the guns and, you know, get them up out of there. Sis, I don't know who she was because she was just an extra unknown character. She pulled up with the jacket for Letty because, you know, Letty was in a dress. She was party in a party attire. And everyone just played their part. I loved watching all these different parts just kind of come and all work together for one brilliant moment. It really felt like theater to me, and it was brilliant. All right, episode four, at 31 minutes and 41 seconds in, I call this the plank walk. This is one part of what I call <laughs> the journey to the treasure. It is a subplot, a series of scenes that starts at about 23 minutes, 24 minutes, it is where our heroes try to find Titus Braithwaite's missing pages. So the setup for the journey starts at the beginning of the episode, about six minutes in. We see Letty approach Tick about trying to kill Christina. Because in the end of episode three, he tries to kill Christina. <laughs> so Letty approaches Tick about that and... That conversation leads to them talking about the Book of Names. Now, there's a really cute library scene that I'm going to shout out because it's, it has a little black boy in there and he is shushing them because he's trying to focus on reading his book and they are making too much noise. <laughs> and I love it. After the library scene, there is a scene with them talking to Montrose and kind of just combining knowledge and like laying all the cards on the table sort of, because, you know, at the end, after watching everything, we know that Montrose was always holding out. He always kind of knew a little bit more than everybody else. But at this point, we don't know that. So like I said, <laughs> we're combining info and laying all our cards out on the table. Next, they talk to Aunt Hippolyta about borrowing Woody, the car. Fast forward to 23 minutes and 52 seconds, we see Tick, Letty, and Montrose entering the museum to look for the entrance to 
Titus's ball. This, I just want to mention, is so different from the book and in the best way. This scene in the book was very, let's just say, basic. It was a great effort by Matt Ruff, good writing. But HBO and Misha Green just really brought it to life in a completely different way. It was beautiful. There were so many clues and steps, and it really felt like a treasure hunt. (laughs) But my favorite part of the series was the plank walk. The images of this plank walk were beautiful. The massiveness of the tunnel or I'm not even sure where they are in this moment but there's just a huge space looks like between like two mountains that's kind of what it looks like to me but just like space between two mountains and they have to walk on a plank to get from one mountain to the other so that's why I call this the plank walk So they have to walk across the plank and Letty goes first. So she starts walking and then she basically disappears. (laughs) That's what it looks like. You know, it looks like she's walking on this plank and then all of a sudden we just don't see her anymore. She is sucked into this sort of black cloud that separates one side from the other. Now, of course, Tick is ready to go after her. He does. Same thing happens. On the other side of the black cloud is a huge pendulum, and it's swinging back and forth, ready to knock them off the plank, slice them into pieces, whatever job it's going to do to not let them get to the other side. Next, we hear Montrose yelling, Atticus! (laughs) He's like, you better not leave me, boy. (laughs) Because, again, with the tension turning it all the way up, the plank starts disintegrating. So Montrose is still on the one side, and he's watching the plank in front of him disintegrate. And he's like, what the hell? I I need to be over there. (laughs) You know? So Atticus goes back for his dad and there's a moment where he has to jump. Montrose has to jump because the plank has damn near all, you know, disintegrated. So he has to jump and he jumps, he makes it. We're all good, we think. We are running, like, trying to get to the other side as fast as possible before this plank fully disintegrates and we have nothing to stand on. So they all get across and they are now on the other side. But now there is a huge stone door in front of them with buttons and they got to figure out a code to open the door. (laughs) So there is this one shot where we see our heroes at the door And they're pushing buttons and they're trying to figure shit out. But right behind them, the plank is quickly disintegrating. And this is another moment where we're like, all right, bro, this is only the fourth episode. Like, we know they're going to survive this, but how? Like, I I do not see it happening. What the frick? (laughs) 
And I, I love feeling that way. I honestly love feeling that way. Turn the tension all the way up and have me thinking our heroes are gonna die. Like, I love it. The scene ends with them getting through the door, of course, but the journey goes on and has actually a super weird ending. Uh, but this was my favorite moment of that journey. Episode 5, 55 minutes and 20 seconds in, I call this William's Reveal. So first, I just want to say I truly, truly love reveals. I love when you are building shit up around the secret, and then you finally reveal that secret, and it changes everything. Not like how Game of Thrones did with Jon Snow. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but William's reveal. So, setup starts actually at the end of the first episode, when we see Letty, Tick, and Uncle George finally make it to Artem. That is where we meet William. It is about an hour and five minutes into the show. He opens up the door and he says to Atticus, welcome home. Then when we get to episode four, it dives a lot deeper when we see William hook up with Ruby. That's about 38 minutes in. Now for my favorite moment, at about 55 minutes and 20 seconds in, we see William coming inside and he looks like something is wrong with him. We don't know if he's like drunk or drugged or what, but we can clearly see that something is going on. Ruby asks him, what's in the basement? She mentions that only him and his lady friend go in and out of the basement. Lady friend meaning Christina Braithwaite. Ruby has only seen William and Christina go into the basement, so she's like, what the hell is going on? What is down there? Back to William. <laughs> we see him just kind of struggling. We don't know what is happening with him. We just see like, okay, he's going through something. Now, if you're anything like me, you were probably like damn near peeing your pants with excitement just seeing this because you recognize what he's going through. You've seen this before. You're like, wait, what? No, can't be. And then we see it. We realize, no, he is actually going through a transformation. And now you're like, okay, wait, but who is William? Who really is William? Oh, no. And then we see Christina. And we learn the truth. That William only exists when Christina wants him to. And we hear Ruby yell, You've been William this whole fucking time? And the episode ends. And I just loved everything about the scene. I love the creepiness. I love the reveal. I love the emotions. I love Ruby's reaction. Everything was just mwah, perfect. Hey y'all, Pink Lady here. I'm a podcast producer, director, coach, and host. And I want to tell you all about my production company, Pink Lady Productions. We collaborate with creatives like you who are driven to share your message by launching your podcast from A to Z and coaching you through the process. 
To learn more about our services, check out our website at pinkladyprod.com. That's P-I-N-K-L-A-D-Y-P-R-O-D.com. All right, episode six at 12 minutes and 55 seconds in, I call this, Who is Gia? So episode six shows Tick's background in the war and what happened with his boo thing, Gia. There's not much setup because this is the first time we're meeting her and we have no idea who she is or what's going on. (laughs) So for the purposes of this podcast, we'll just say that the setup is in the beginning of the episode with Gia talking to her mother, and I say that in quotes, at about three minutes in. So then at the almost 13 minutes in, we see Gia and a man having sex. The man begins to climax and then what the fuck? I don't even know. Music slows. Everything kind of gets distorted. Tension is building. And you are like, what is happening? (laughs) Tentacles start coming from all of Gia's holes and just piercing all of the man's holes. Gia sees and we see what I assume are the man's memories. We find out later that, you know, she sees the whole of her lover's life, their birth and their death. But at this moment, we just see images. So we assume that maybe they are memories. And then... He is ripped apart from the inside and all of his blood and guts splash onto her. Let me tell you, if you have a blood kink, that scene is for you. If you have a blood kink, actually just watch Lovecraft Country because you'll love it. (laughs) But this scene ends with her mother, again in quotes, coming in and ordering 10 more men. She's like, good job, 10 more. (laughs) Now, I'll be honest, the first time I watched this series, I didn't care for this episode. I was just like, what the fuck does this have to do with our story? Again, I am the type of storyteller who thinks that everything should matter. All the details, even the smallest ones, everything should have a reasoning and should support the story. So I just wasn't here for it because I couldn't see how this episode was just like going to support the story. The second time I watched the series, I appreciated it so much more. Well, one, because I knew where the story was going. I still felt like it was out of left field because, you know, it wasn't in the book. It was completely different from how all the other episodes were set up. But I did appreciate the episode in the overall story. I did come to understand what it actually meant for our characters. And I honestly really loved how this scene just came out of nowhere. you are very intrigued if you're anything like me you're intrigued by Gia and you're like what is going on with her and you know that there's something there but you have no idea what it is and you definitely don't expect this (laughs) so it was amazing 
All right, so episode seven. At 34 minutes and 50 seconds in, I call this Light Up the Stage. The setup for this scene actually spans multiple episodes. It starts with Uncle George's death in episode two. Because of how it happens, Atticus, Letty, and Montrose decide to keep how he really died a secret. And Hippolyta, she just ain't no dummy. So she knew there was more to the story. And you see her like really feeling some type of way. Then in episode three, at about five minutes and 24 seconds in, we see Hippolyta struggling with the death and like really kind of grieving, ripping pages out of his favorite book, being really short with Tick and just kind of being awkward. At the end of episode four, about 55 minutes in, we see her and Dee riding home alone because... Remember the treasure hunt, after the treasure hunt, our heroes ended up back at the Winthrop house. How it's possible, we have no idea. And this just adds to Hippolyta's suspicions about the weirdness that's going on. So we see her and Dee riding home and they find George's atlas with Devon County circled. So that brings us to episode seven at one minute and 44 seconds in where we see her at what is left of the Braithwaite estate. And she's starting to put some pieces together. At 15 minutes and 31 seconds, she decides that she needs to go on her own journey. And she does just that. At 22 minutes and 18 seconds, she gets to the machine. And that opens a portal to another dimension. She wakes up in a let's say a prison like room not like american prisons but i guess what you would imagine a prison of your mind to look like (laughs) um she meets a being that looks like a black woman with a huge afro and that being tells her that she is not in a prison and she just has to name herself wherever whatever she wanted to be just name it that is a direct quote And she chooses to be on stage in Paris with Josephine Baker, thus light up the stage. I really loved this storyline for Aunt Hippolyta. I love how they gave her a journey to find herself and decide who she is without being a mom and without being a wife. And I also love that they showed her naked body, okay? We should be celebrating women's bodies and not hating them or thinking they are disgusting or thinking that, you know, women get old and can't show their bodies anymore. I love that they showed her body. She's not a young, skinny thing, but she still looks amazing. And she got to wear the really cute costumes and dance on stage with Josephine Baker and Can you just imagine? I I just know that would be amazing. All right. For episode eight, I do have a favorite moment, but I do want to give an honorable mention to what I call Fuck Them Cops Part One. (laughs) This is 42 minutes and 27 seconds in. We hear D go off on the cops that hexed her and really represent. I loved it. And then a little later at 
53 minutes and 31 seconds, we get to my favorite moment in that episode, which is called Fuck Them Cops Part (laughs) 2. So there are a bunch of setups because this is later in the season, but I'm just going to talk about the main ones. Um, So the setup with the cops starts back in episode three when Letty buys the Winthrop house. After what I talked about, my favorite scene, Letty goes off. uh, She's arrested and the captain asks her questions about the house and why she bought it and how she bought it and all these things. In episode five, at 37 minutes and 25 seconds in, we hear Captain Lancaster and his cops talking about the Winthrop house and the Ori and Horatio Winthrop. And we know that he wants to get in that house because of something that has to do with the Ori and that stuff. So after D goes off, fuck them cops part one, (laughs) It is like the last straw. He's just like, you know what? Fuck these black people. We don't have enough. We are going to take this house by force. But the house is bound by magic. So Captain Lancaster can't get in. So, you know, that just makes him even more mad. And he has to do something even more drastic. Now, the setup for Letty starts early in the episode when she gets invulnerability from Christina. That happens about 33 minutes and 27 seconds in. Letty is in a church praying for protection for Atticus, and she meets with Christina to ask for invulnerability for him. But Christina, you know, she's on her woman power shit, so she's like, no, not for him, but I'll give it to you. (laughs) And our monster setup also starts earlier in this episode, about 39 minutes and 30 seconds in. Atticus and Montrose do a protection spell. And they actually have a really sweet moment, but that is not what this is about. Um, So yeah, they cast a protection spell, but when they do it, it looks like nothing happens. So they just assume that it didn't work. So, plan B, when Captain Lancaster can't get into the Winthrop house, as cops do, they fuck shit up. (laughs) So, they start literally spraying the house with bullets. Everybody's shooting, pow, pow, pow. You see glass shattering. You see pieces of the house breaking off. There is crazy commotion, and it is just all this craziness. And you see Letty, our girl. With bullets literally bouncing off of her. Like, I love that. She's looking around at everything just being destroyed. And the bullets are not touching her. Literally, at all. At some point, Atticus arrives. And some of the attention from the cops switches right to him. They start pointing guns at him. Tell him to put his hands up, you know, yelling. And, you know, that kind of gets out of hand. Letty here, she notices and she out. She is like, oh, no, that's my man. Y'all not about to do nothing. Y'all not about to shoot my man. Okay, so she is running towards him as fast as she can. But before she can get to him, a cop shoots. Boom. And just as we think he might actually get shot, 
one of the shoguffs from the first episode literally like bust through the concrete ground right in front of where Atticus is standing. This monster goes crazy. He gruesomely kills or maims all of the cops there. All of the cops die or are like damn near dead. And then it is confirmed the spell actually worked because we know now the monster was there to protect Tick. As I've been saying, I love tension. I love thrills. I love secrets. I love reveals. All of that is what really makes me want to watch something. And all of that was encompassed in this. I got so emotional watching this scene because of so many reasons. Like, number one, cops. We know about the history between policing and Black people in America. And, I mean, even my personal history, like, I've had cops literally, like, bust in my house trying to accuse my brother of, like, being a kingpin and having fucking pounds and pounds of crack and whatever other drugs they were trying to tell him he was selling. I won't even go too much into that, but we know. We know the history of policing and Black people in America, and it was just very emotional to watch the setup for all of this. The Letty being hurt, the curse on D. The like all the things that happened with the cops in this series, it was just like very emotional for me. And then we get this. We kind of get this revenge of no, not this time. You will not hurt my man this time. We got this monster for you. <laughs> you know? Another reason I was very emotional watching this was because of the love and the relationship between Atticus and Letitia. I was just like, oh my gosh, the way she sprung up and ran to get to Atticus before anything could happen to him, I can relate to that so much. I just, I really felt that. And also her perspective of seeing the house being torn apart, seeing this thing that she loved and she was building and trying to create a life for herself and for other Black creators and artists just being literally destroyed. That feeling of, you know, trying to do good for the world and just being pushed back 20 steps after you made that first step. I was very emotional. But the best thing for me, honestly, was to see the monster who was hunting and trying to kill Atticus in the first episode protect him. It was a total 180 moment and I am here for it. All right, episode 9 at 49 minutes and 54 seconds in I call this superpower. The setup starts in episode 8 with D's curse. Episode 9 opens with D all fucked up because of the curse. Her arm is rotting and she is turning into one of the things that was following her. We find out that the only way to save D is pretty much to get the Book of Names. And 
our heroes decide that the best way to get the complete book of names is to go back into the past where we know it was where Tick's mom's family had it. So at 16 minutes and 50 seconds in, they go to the machine that can, you know, the machine that can take you to multiple dimensions. And Hippolyta, she actually comes back earlier in this episode at about 10 minutes in. And she serves as the motherboard to control the machine and help Tick, Letty, and Montrose go back in time. So we go back in time to May 31st, 1921, which is day one of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Long story short, they get split up, but they do find the Book of Names. Letty is the one who has the Book of Names. And once she gets it, we see her walking down the middle of the road. We literally see bombs going off around her and her being consumed by fire and chaos and madness. And she is walking down the street, clutching this book like there is no tomorrow. And there is so much power in that scene. It really reminded me of Beyonce's Superpower video. That's why I named it Superpower. Where in that video, first you just, you see B and you see her walking in this like outdoor parking structure. At first, it's just her. She is alone. Then she is joined by just hella dope ass, beautiful people. And they march on to what looks like some sort of riot you know that it's chaos wherever they are. And that is absolutely how I felt watching this scene. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was really a beauty in chaos moment. Episode 10, at 38 minutes and 15 seconds in, I call this a Rosa moment. So this is our finale episode. And the setup starts earlier in the episode at about two minutes and 20 seconds where Tick and Letty are brought into the ancestral space that was created by Hannah when she first opened the Book of Names. They're brought into this space and a bunch of things happen, but for the purposes of telling this story, we learn that the ancestors have a spell that they want Atticus and Letty to perform. So throughout the episode, they are gathering all the ingredients that they need. They are getting their plans together. And at about 38 minutes, they head out to the Braithwaite Manor and they are on their way. Everyone is packed in Woody and it's pretty quiet besides the radio. So you hear the radio and then you hear Dee start singing this song that is on the radio. One by one, everyone else joins in and slowly but surely, we have a group performance. This was high school for me. I went to Rosa L. Parks High School of Fine and Performing Arts in Patterson, New Jersey, and busting out in random song was a daily thing. <laughs> In the midst of whatever else was going on in our lives, a bunch of kids from the hood, some who grew up seeing and doing like some crazy wild shit, but we all love to sing along. 
it didn't matter what your major was. It didn't matter what your background was. If we were singing a song, you were going to join in. And that is so reminiscent of this moment because it's like, we know that Tick is going to die. We know that this spell is going on and we don't expect it to just, you know, go right, right? We know that some things are going to go wrong. But in the midst of everything that's happening, we're going to have a sing-along. <laughs> we're going to enjoy this one moment and we're going to be present. And I love that. So that is a wrap on part two of Podcasting is the New Kink. That is going to be a wrap on our review of Lovecraft Country. So please let me know any thoughts, any ideas, anything you disagree with, any conversations you want to have. Please bring them to me, jasmine at pinkladyprod.com or DM me on Instagram at pinkladyprod. Part three of podcasting is a new kink is going to be about me, myself, the journey that I'm on, my experiences, my background. It's just going to be all about me. It's going to be all about Pink Lady. I'm going to talk about podcasting, hair, sexuality, entrepreneurship, relationships, and spirituality. And I'm going to go in. I'm going to be honest and I'm really going to give you guys a deep look into who I am and I am excited to just continue sharing more of myself with you. So stay tuned. Hey y'all, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything I talked about on this episode, you can DM me on Instagram at pinkladyprod, that's P-I-N-K, L-A-D-Y-P-R-O-D, or you can email me at jasmine at pinkladyprod.com. Jasmine is spelled J-A-S-M-I-N-E. If you want more info about Pink Lady Productions or me, you can visit our website at pinkladyprod.com. Subscribe to Podcasting is the new kink for updates on new episodes, and please feel free to share it. Also, please rate and review the show. Peace.